Well, what's up, guys? Welcome to the Conversations with Interesting People podcast, the show where we sit down with people from all walks of life and hear their story and their journey and hopefully inspire you in your own journey as well. I'm your host, Braden Collum, and today looks a little different. I'm sitting alone in my living room, and that is because all the way from Nashville, Tennessee, we have an incredible special guest today. He is a... Um, front of house engineer. He's a tour manager. He just recently launched his own online curriculum. Uh, and he's worked with incredible artists like Colony House, Matt Carney, American Authors, Switchfoot, Walk the Moon. I mean, just unbelievable artists. And I am incredibly humbled that he said yes to joining me today. Riley Vasquez, how are you, man? Hey, how's it going, Braden? Thanks so much for having me today. Man, I appreciate it. Thank you. How's it going in Nashville? Man, actually, uh, if you see me run away uh, at all during this podcast, I'm sorry, but we are currently under a tornado watch. <laughs> so uh, it is that time of year. It's spring. And I don't know if you know this, last year, March 3rd, was a pretty um, big day in Nashville. Uh, it was not a good day, but a tornado ripped through our city and we're wow. still you know, putting things back together. So Anytime there is a tornado watch, anytime there's a tornado warning now, you know, a, a little over a year later, um, you know, everybody's a little on edge because we, we, we realized after this last tornado that came through, it's not the first time it's happened yeah. the exact same way. So there's actually been three different tornadoes come through Nashville in the exact same path. What in so the they all world? took almost an identical path. Luckily, I'm a little bit outside that path. Yeah, but do still. they keep rebuilding <laughs> in that path? Well, you know, they say that they built the city actually to help avoid that path because that path has been uh, the first time it came through was early 1900s. Then it came through again in the late 50s, I believe. And then um, a, a tornado came through but didn't destroy much in the 90s. But then it came through pretty bad last year in 2020, uh, March 2020. And um, so they say they built the city in a way that was like kind of around that path. But, you know. Uh, it destroyed most of the the cool stuff, the cool part of East Nashville, oh, awesome. which was, uh, you know, it was a big bummer that it destroyed so much. But anyways, all that to say, I'm doing good, but we are under a tornado <laughs> If you watch. duck out, you have to peace out. I <laughs> if totally you hear understand. a siren, I've got my headphones on. If you hear it before <laughs> me, let me know. <laughs> That's awesome. Speaking of that, like I've also got like the construction people in my neighborhood decided this was the perfect time to re do, redo our street. So if you hear my dog barking or if you hear jackhammers <laughs> outside, which I can hear already. Yeah. You know, it's funny. They don't ever ask, you know, what your schedule is when they're doing Yeah, They didn't come over and knock on my door. Why. They weren't like, Hey, Braden, <laughs> is this a good time for you? Like, no, it's not actually. Yeah. But thanks for being on this, man. Thanks for doing this. I really just want to hear your journey. I mean, we met first time 2017 four mm -hmm. or is that four years ago? Somewhere four years around there, ago. you were doing. I believe it house. was a spring four years. No, uh, yeah, it was I believe March. It was spring, yeah. I think it was March mm -hmm. 2017, and you were doing front of house and tour managing for Colony House. And so I wanted to catch up four years later and just hear your journey. But before we get to like where you are today, let's kind of go back a little bit. Did you grow up always wanting to run sound, manage bands, be on the road? How like was that always a passion of yours? Um, I would say that I did not grow up wanting to do that. Um, 
I grew up, I was thrown into music from the day I was born because my parents, or actually my grandpa, started Bill Hardin Music in Macon, Georgia, and that is a music retail store. So it's the neighborhood music store where you go to buy your first guitar. Okay. You know, um, Are they still in, in the, business? They're still in business, yes. Uh, in the 60s, there was no Amazon. There was no internet. So you go to the store you know, anytime you want something, and, and our store was known... Um, you know, it was a big part of the music uh, culture of Macon, Georgia in the 60s and 70s. And um, and then it still goes today. So they have students, you know, students come in and, and do lessons, but they also sell, you know, guitars, drums, pianos, they do lessons. And so I grew up as a big part of that. So I was kind of thrown into, into music from the beginning. And I knew that I wanted to play music um, or be around music in some form, but I also had a knack for business I enjoyed both. And so it's been a weird dynamic, you know, um, learning both sides of, of, you know, music and business. Yeah. What instrument did you pick up first? So I, well, first I, I was forced to play piano. Okay. Classic. <laughs> uh, my mom signed me up for piano lessons at my school. And, um, you know, while everybody else was going to have a recess, I was going to play piano. So that was not the most ideal thing for an eight-year-old, <laughs> you know. Uh, also, I never would practice. And my teacher, she was the kind of teacher that would, um, she was very, um, this was like a, a, a Baptist private school. So okay. if you can think, it was a little more, you know, buttoned up. Um, no, no syncopated rhythm music, you know, no drums, no guitars. It was very, very, very uh, uh, conservative. And, sure. you know, I would play these, you know, I would want to play like these pop songs and my teacher would just absolutely not let me play. So she would literally, you know, if the, if the piano book said like uh, rock rhythm, she would cross out the word rock. She would scratch out <laughs> rock because rock is not, uh, you know, okay to say yeah. in, in, um, in that culture. So anyways, um, I, I quickly got tired of piano, but my parents were like, listen, we'll let you stop piano if you play you know, another instrument. So I started learning guitar and then I went to bass and bass kind of became my thing. It was a little easier okay. for me. Um, Which is interesting. Not a lot, a lot of people go to bass guitar. It's not a very sexy instrument. It's not sexy. I will say that. But, uh, you know, everybody, all my friends play guitar. True. Um, and so I was like, well, instead of competing on guitar, maybe I can just play bass. Um, and then I started to really enjoy it because it's like the low end, you know, you're mm -hmm. really feeling, you feel it a lot more yeah. than a guitar. Um, and it was, it seemed like it was always the missing link in a group. Um, so every band I played in in high school or in college, it was always like, they needed a bass player. And I just became the bass player. So it kind of just was, um, that was the instrument that I, I gravitated toward. Um, and, uh, and then, um, the way I kind of got on the road and started doing that, started doing sound. I went to Lee University for two years, which is a, uh, a Christian liberal arts school in in Cleveland, Tennessee, right above Chattanooga. Okay, and it was like my dream to go to this college, and and um, they had a great music program. And I tried to get in the music program. I did not make it into the music uh. program. Um, and so I was. They had some traveling choirs that that like, did these. Well, like, did you have to gigs. like try out for it? Yeah, I had to try out for the music program. So, and they just got back to you like, "Sorry, you suck," or what? what they well, yeah, you? I didn't know how to read bass <laughs> okay. music for bass uh, guitar. You know, I didn't want to do the theory. I just wanted to play. Yeah, what music and, were you playing when you started playing bass? Oh, I mean, was it like classic? Like, 
Or is it like like, ACDC? It wasn't ACDC. It was more like Linkin Park. And um, (laughs) I'm trying to think of who I was really into at the time. Yeah, Blink-182. you know, Green Day. a lot of those bands. Yes, Green Day. A lot of those bands from that time frame. Anybody who was on Warp Tour, I was probably playing their music. You know, and <laughs> and so Tour. I'm going to Lee University to try to be in the music program, and they're like, "No, nah, dude, <laughs> you, you're not what we're looking for." <laughs> so um, I joined a choir that was this traveling choir, and they had a band, and I got in to play bass. Um, and then their old bass player came back right after I got in, and so I got and stuck doing sound. They oh, kicked okay. me out. I became the understudy and I got stuck doing sound. And that's where I really cut my teeth doing doing sound was, uh, you know, in churches growing up um, with my friends bands, you know, growing up, but also um, uh, doing sound for this choir. And we'd travel on the weekends and I can't tell you how bad the sound was <laughs> for these choirs. I had no idea what I was doing. They just threw me back there and said, hey, you push buttons. And I kind of learned, you know, uh, you know, by failure. Yeah, was it <laughs> fun sense. for you at first? You were like, what the heck? Uh, I no, be no, 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 no. I, I only wanted to be playing bass. I was, okay. I was actually, you know, pretty angry that uh, they they gave me this like big high of you're coming to college, you're getting in this band, you're you're going to be traveling playing bass, and then one weekend I'm stuck, you know, pushing faders and plugging in cables, um, and I was pretty bad at it for a while, and then somehow I started to get good at it. You know, I think it's one of those things. It's like you. You, you keep doing bad until you figure out like one person who's good at something and you kind of hang out around that person. Yeah. And there was like one person at the school who would always kind of teach me like little things here and there. And, um, and I was doing better. And then I was like, you know, I actually like this. Uh, I actually like sound. So I started looking for colleges to transfer to that had an audio program. And okay. I found a school in Florida called Full Sail University. Okay. And I went down, toured it. It was like the most amazing studios. Which is like their thing, right? They're all about music arts. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're all about like the tech in the audio world and nothing to have producing and film and all that stuff. Anyways, paid a down payment, got a roommate, um, went with my buddy to Nashville for just a a weekend hang. And he was like, hey, let's go look at MTSU. I heard they got a new studio. And I was like, what's MTSU? Uh, And... He, uh, he was like, let's just go drive by it. So we drove by and they were doing a thing where it's like, stop by and see the studio. So we stopped in, asked, could we see the studio? And I went in these studios and I was like, oh my gosh, this place is really nice. And then I, while I was there, I applied. 24 hours later, I got accepted. Uh, and then I got a scholarship. And it was just like, all these doors just kept flinging wide open, wide open, wide open. And I'm like, maybe I should go to this school instead of go to the one in Florida because the one in Florida was going to be $45,000 a year. This one was going to cost me $3,000 a semester. Uh, Yeah. So I just was like, and I could get a Spanish. I was really into Spanish. I wanted to learn it fluent. My family is Hispanic. Uh, So anyways, it was like a, you know, I could do a four year degree. Um, How old were you at this time? uh, Because you didn't go straight from high school right into college. um, No, I took a gap year. Um, and then, uh, I, that was probably 20 years old at this time. Okay. Um, and at the time I still didn't know if running front of house was really a, a, a real, I didn't even know it was called front of house. I thought it was yeah. just sound guy, you know? Um, I thought maybe I could have like a sound company or something like that. And, but, uh, quickly I learned at MTSU as I started, um, 
you know, this is a thing that people really go after for a career and they go all over the world doing it. And so uh, you go to, hold on, you go to MTSU. Are you thinking studio or are you thinking live sound? Um, I'm thinking live sound at the time they had a a couple classes. They didn't have a big program for live sound. Um, but I was definitely thinking more live than, um, studio. I, I, I did some studio stuff and I thought for a minute, maybe I'd be a songwriter or a producer or something like that, but it, it just didn't fit right. Okay. You know, it just wasn't, wasn't my thing. Gotcha. Okay. So you're at MTSU, get accepted. What's the next step in that journey? So, um, the very first day I get there and into my class and my very first class, uh, it was this older guy, um, bearded, looked kind of like a washed up rocker was basically like, Everybody here, most of you are not going to be in this class by the end of the semester. This class is meant to weed you out. He's like, you are not going to be the next big producer. You're not going to be the next big musician. You are basically nothing. You are not important to the industry. Oh, yeah. But you know what? Everything he said, I needed to hear. And, uh, And everybody in that room needed to hear. And like he said, that class was extremely hard. And uh, 75% of the class was out. Um, yeah. so why do you, semester. why do you think you needed to hear that kind of tough love? Um, you know, because it kind of shows you from the beginning that, Hey, this is not, this is going to be a rocky path. You know, this is not just, you haven't made it just because you got into the school and you have to actually work hard. Yeah. Um, and, and the MTSU is really great about instilling that worth that instilling that work ethic inside every student that was there. Um, you know, they, uh, they teach you that like, not only are you going to have to have good talent to be able to, to get a job, but you also have to be a hard worker and yeah. people have to enjoy working with you. And, um, cause talent, it'll take you, it can take you far, but it's all about who, you know, and people actually have to like you. And, and, yeah. um, and, uh, so anyways, that was one skill that I learned at MTSU that, um, you know, I'm thankful for. Yeah. Okay. So you're there, you got the tough guy. Did you come around to him? Like, did you? Is he like no. the guy who's the he's the really the really hard teacher up front, just to kind of establish a baseline, and then everybody liked no, him? No, I saw him a couple of years ago, and uh, he was out <laughs> of he has a huge record like business that so he sells records and uh, and you know old vintage records. And I saw him at a flea market, and I just looked at him, and I was like, I don't like that guy. <laughs> he was never him? nice. You know, he wasn't the guy that you warm up to. He was the guy that just kind of sucked. Was but just what he said was important. Yeah, yeah. So. Anyways, I'll keep the story of MTSU short because, uh, you know, I, I don't think all these people want to hear about all my college stories. But uh, I will say that I learned it's all about who you know. I used to think it was about how, how hard you tried or, or how, um, you know, talented you were. And those are important, but it's about who you know. And I learned that as I started MTSU. So I'd continue to always introduce myself to people and yeah, I was were they a like, were they, were they bringing in people to do like workshops and you'd say, Hey, I'm Riley. Yeah. But not even that I was introducing myself just to musicians who were playing, um, in like the quad or, you know, or just like, Hey, I'm a, I do sound. If you ever need anybody, I can make nice. it sound great. Uh, or I, I can, uh, I'll make sure there's vocal or feedback on sorry make sure there's no feedback on your vocal and make sure there's reverb so it sounds good yeah you know and you'd be surprised how many people get stoked about that conversation you know they're playing a little show down the street they want to sound great you know so i just go do little stuff like that and um 
and uh, that kind of started some relationships. Um, I met one guy in the quad one day, and I didn't like this guy at all. Um, this guy was he he was pretty cocky actually uh, at the beginning of our relationship, and and but I knew he played guitar. I knew he like was we like worked in some bands and stuff like that. He's really good guitar player. He had ridiculous hair at the time. Um, and, uh, we had a conversation and, and kind of found out we knew some of the same people. And, um, anyways, uh, that one relationship turned into me getting my first gig, um, on the road. Cause that guy was Scott Mills. Who's a guitar player for colony, for house. colony house and, yeah. uh, who's also one of my best friends in the world. And yeah. so I hope he watches this. this. We've talked about <laughs> uh, me not liking him at the first, <laughs> at the first he was go, just kind of stuck up rude or. You know, I think he was just quiet or or spacey. I don't think he was actually rude. I think he just was kind of like spacey, honestly. Okay. And uh, and so that came off to me as rude. Like is he but, an uh, <laughs> introverted, like artistic introvert? No, not at all. But okay. I think at the time he was just spacey and and like, uh, you know, you're in a you're in a college like cafeteria. You know, you've got like, um, so many different types of people everywhere. So anytime I'd see him, he would just, he would never look you in the eye and talk to you. He'd always kind of be like <laughs> looking around, you know, and I just, I thought yeah. that was rude at the time, but yeah. anyways, we are, he is one of my closest friends in the world, uh, yeah. currently, but he called me to go out, um, and work with his band, which was not called colony house at the time. It was called Caleb. The, uh, the singer of the band's called Caleb Chapman. Yeah. And, uh, he uh, he was like, hey, we're going to Atlanta. Um, I can pay you 50 bucks to do this show. Well, at the time, I had a job at Cracker Barrel. Um, and <laughs> I was pretty new That's at Cracker so Barrel. Awesome. I was a rising star. I actually still have my apron. How many stars did you have? <laughs> I, only, I never made it past a rising star because I <sighs> called my manager and I was like, hey, I got this gig opportunity. It's something I want to do with my career. Uh, this is important to me. I want to take next Saturday off. And she goes, uh, you're sorry, you're too new to take a, a weekend how, off. How long have you been working there at this point? 40 days. 40 okay. days, exactly. Over, a little over a month. A little over a month. And she's like, you're too new. And I was like, well, I'm following all the process. You know, I'm seven, giving you seven days. And she goes, well, you're too new to make that happen. And I'm like, well, I quit. <laughs> so <laughs> hang up the phone with this lady and uh, realize, oh, no. <laughs> I just quit my job for $50. What yeah. am I thinking? Um, but Braden, actually that moment right there helped set me on a path to like open up a whole new world. It opened up um, opportunity for me. It gave me a relationship with people that I'd never met before. I had not met the the Chapman brothers uh, who are the brothers in Colony House. Yeah. I had not met them at this point. Um, I only knew Scott. And this one risk that I took of quitting my Cracker Barrel job for $50 um, was a defining moment in my so life. So you quit You quit Cracker Barrel. You're serving there. You quit. And just to do one show? To do like one Scott show, Scott says, hey, yeah. we've got 50 bucks with your name on it in one show in Atlanta. Yeah, I knew that I could probably find something else uh, in okay. Murfreesboro. You know, I wasn't... Um, my expenses were really low at the time. So, you know, I, I was paying like 250 bucks a month for rent. It's very cheap. Um, but I knew that like, I only wanted to, I couldn't pass up opportunities like this. I was yeah. like, this is a, a moment. Um, 
I just knew that like these opportunities don't come to everybody because you're in a group with all these classmates and they're all trying to figure out what to do. You get an opportunity, man, you take the opportunity. You yeah. know, you you can't look at it and say, oh, it's not perfectly. It doesn't really perfectly fit in the hole I needed to fit into. Uh, so I, uh, I took that opportunity. We did the show, came back and yeah, it felt like, uh, it felt like it was a rush. Uh, it was, it made me super happy. I learned a ton on that first show, made yeah. some new friends. I came back from the show like, all right, well, what do I do next? And, um, I did have to find some other opportunities. I did have to, to, you know, do a little extra odd jobs and stuff like that. But, um, but that relationship brought in another relationship uh, a few months later in my yeah. last semester of college. I got hired to go out for a, a TM slash FOH opportunity. And I I got this email from a manager and I'm like, okay, FOH. I knew what FOH was. I knew what FOH was because I was going to audio school. So I okay. knew it meant front of house <laughs> engineer. Um, but I didn't know what TM okay. So I just typed in TM slash FOH in Google and uh, ended up on a tour manager Wikipedia page. And, uh, and I'm like, tour manager, I can probably do that. Yeah, sure. So I said yes to the opportunity. Once again, uh, just saying yes, didn't really know exactly what I was doing. Um, and uh, I met this band called Mike's Chair. They were a, a Christian artist at the time. They came down to Murfreesboro. They all went to Belmont. They were all Belmont grads. And, and uh, they were like the, the, the cool Belmont band. Um, and Belmont, if you don't know, is a, at a, a college in Nashville, yeah. a pretty big music school. A lot of singer songwriters come out of there. A lot of musicians come out of there. Um, it's pretty big in the Nashville scene. MTSU is 30 minutes away from Nashville. Uh, Belmont is MTSU's biggest rival and Belmont has no idea that MTSU exists. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. So anyways, I met these guys and, um, and we, I just jump in the van with them. Uh, we drive all the way to Florida to do some shows. And I come back after doing the shows. They were very successful shows. Um, I got along good with everyone. And I realized, wait, I'm now, I can be a tour manager and a sound engineer. And so that was 10 years ago, almost to the day of this recording. And uh, that is what I've been doing for the last 10 years. I've been a tour manager and I've been a front of house engineer. So tour manager, if you don't know what a tour manager does, it is uh, the person who organizes all the, all the logistics, handles all the money, the accounting. Uh, sometimes you're the babysitter for the artist <laughs> on the road. Uh, basically, you are the liaison between the artist and the venue or the venue manager or the promoter whenever you're on the road. So, so you're, are, you, you're, are you calling up anybody tour managers of yours or are you just trying to figure this out trial by fire? I didn't have any tour manager friends. Okay. <laughs> I, I, all I knew were people in, in college. Uh, my only connection to the music industry was Scott Mills mm-hmm. and uh, the Chapman brothers. Uh, and their dad is a, a massive artist. His yeah. name is Stephen Curtis Chapman. So yeah. he has a big community of people, but I didn't really know him at that time. I just knew them. So no, I literally Googled it. Um, <laughs> and, um, and that brought me, I'll fast forward one, one year to a moment that was even a bigger defining moment in my life. Uh, and this was a huge failure moment. Oh no. Okay. Um, Love it. You, you mentioned, you mentioned a couple artists that I worked with. Uh, you mentioned a guy named Matt Carney and I'll just go ahead and say his name. Uh, I was a huge fan at the time. 
he had released this record called Young Love. Okay. And the record is fire. It is so good. Um, it's the kind of record you, you know, at the time I was listening to with my friends, you know, you have one ear pod in your ear, you know, another ear pod. Yeah. Strung across. If you're on a plane, you're like using a splitter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It just was <laughs> such a good record. And this was the summer of 2012. Um, and I got an opportunity to go out and work for him. Um, as a tour manager in front of house engineer. Uh, well, I took the opportunity and this was on a massive um, North America amphitheater tour supporting train. And, um, you know, Hey, soul sister, you know, that, yeah. mm-hmm. that song was like out at the time. It just come out. So yeah, it's like a pretty big deal. Um, Matt Carney's direct support. Well, I got hired to go out and I got asked, um, Hey, can you go out just for a few shows just as a trial run before the tour? We just want to make sure everything feels good. I was like, sure. So I'm like, you know, I show up, it's my first day. We get to the show on time and we're playing this festival and this festival is massive. It's called Summerfest. It's in downtown Milwaukee and it's such a big, important, like, uh, you know, very cred festival that they have built this entire like festival grounds right downtown Milwaukee. I mean, it is like it, you're right next to all the buildings and everything. Um, and, uh, we show up, we're playing the, the second largest stage, which is over 10,000 people. We're headlining the stage that night and we get there, we get there on time. I get everybody there. I'm getting along great with everyone. Um, and, uh, there was, a problem. The uh, stage manager walks toward me and, and he's got a confused look on his face and he's like, Hey Riley, um, uh, there's no instruments on the stage. Um, there's no instruments on a truck. There's no instruments backstage. What do we do? And I'm like, um, confused as well, but see, we had flown to this show and typically when you fly to a show, you have to rent instruments, uh, locally. Yeah. It's called renting backline. You know, you're renting all the big stuff like drums, keyboards, stands, you know, uh, some people rent guitars and amps and all that good stuff. Um, so anyways, we show up to play this festival and there were no instruments because I forgot to order the instruments. (laughs) And (laughs) so at this moment that the stage manager is talking to me, I just get this super sick feeling. Remember, this is my first show. Yeah. And, uh, I get this super sick feeling inside because I know that I screwed up and I know down deep inside, I'm about to not get hired for this tour. I'm about to get fired. So anyways, Brayden, like I, I solved the problem. We, you know, our team came together, we made it all happen. Um, but, uh, you know, even the even the artist said it was one of the best shows he's ever been a part of, other than our hiccup. Um, but I got home a couple of days later, thirty minutes after landing, I get a call from the manager, and he says, "Hey, uh, you know, you're just you're not really what we're looking for on the road. We got to have somebody with more experience. Uh, uh, maybe we'll get you another time." And uh, and that moment, you know, was a very sad moment. I was super ashamed and and uh, super bummed. I lost like over twenty thousand dollars that summer, and um, hung my head pretty low. Cause I had told all my friends, you know, I'm going out on this big tour and, and this is right after college. And so, um, yeah, I ruined a business relationship, never worked with these people again. And, uh, uh. anyways, so 
I said this was a defining moment and it made me realize like I never want to have this happen to me again. So yeah. I like started building processes and um and uh, started like mentoring younger folks and and really started trying to like dial in what I do on the road. Um and it took me a long time to kind of figure out all those things, but Okay, so they don't invite you back. <laughs> like how how did that affect your mentality of like, were you totally discouraged? Did you want to give it up? Oh, yeah. Like, where were you mentally when that happens? Oh, yeah. You wonder if you're not the right person for the job ever. You wonder if um, you've been doing the wrong thing. You know, you went a whole different, <laughs> the wrong career. Uh, you think you're never going to be good enough. Uh, all those thoughts are going through your head. You know, at that time, I had spent years trying to get into this industry, and this was my big shot. You know, this was my moment, and I yeah. blew it. Um, and it was not because I was, I had to learn that it wasn't not because I was a good person. It wasn't because I was not talented. Um, it was not because, uh, I wasn't a hard worker. It was just that I hadn't dialed in like the right processes. Yeah. And like there at the time there was no training for that kind of stuff. And so, um, it kind of set me on a path to be better about process. And, and I didn't really know anything about process. I'm, not the most organized human. Um, I don't love spreadsheets and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not one on the Enneagram, if you will, but (laughs) yeah, it was, uh, it was a time where I learned that, okay, I got to be better. Yeah. So how do you recover from that? Well, first of all, I, hopefully you have good people around you who tell you, you know, the truth about yourself. Like you're not, terrible human. You're good at what you do. Uh, you just made a mistake. Um, and then you just vow to never do it again. Yeah. So I've never forgotten to order backline again. It's always (laughs) like in the, in the back of my mind, if we're flying to a show, have I ordered backline? Um, but then also just like, you know, teaching other people, you know, to, to not let that kind of stuff happen to them has been, um, has been great. Um, developing processes for other parts of the job. Um, you know, not just, uh, you know, a checklist for, for backline for ordering instruments, but yeah, I, I don't know how to tell you how to exactly recover because every situation is going to be different. Sure. You know, they tell you just pick your head up and keep going, but it does not feel like you want to pick your head up and keep going. Yeah. You know, anytime you fail, it's going to suck. But you can't like you can't label yourself a failure. Were you, you know, that's worried, where the difference is? Were you worried because Matt Carney was a big name back then? Were you worried yeah. that that was gonna hurt your career? Oh yeah, man. Okay, absolutely. I mean, you know, so many people I knew were connected to Matt. I found out, you know, as I was working, so many people in the industry were connected to him, and um, and also what sucked is I saw him all the time. <laughs> as a matter of fact, he lives on the next street over from me right now. I see him all the time. Did still. he ever talk to you and, about it or it just, Oh yeah, we've had, we've had way, we've had so many conversations since then. Okay. You know, I, <laughs> I, I ran into him at Dick's sporting goods and in the fishing section and we just had a long chat, you know, about nothing. But, um, you know, I think it is all, I think other people don't necessarily care about your failures. And, and so if you can get past them yourself, other people are going to also be able to get past them. You know, you yeah. can't, 
like I said a second ago, you can't label yourself a failure. If you label yourself a, fa a failure, you will never grow. You will never get over that moment. But if you just say, hey, I failed, what can I learn from this and how can I move forward? It's going to suck. It's going to be really hard to move forward. But if you can do that, um, then you're going to be able to take that whatever happened and use it to your benefit as a stepping stone to the to the next place you're going. Yeah. So what did moving forward look like for you next? Well, it looked like taking a job with an artist that I didn't want to necessarily take a job with. Um, I had two offers on the table and I had turned one down because of Matt Carney. And, uh, and so I went back to the other one. I was, you turned like, it down because hey. you didn't think you could do it anymore. I didn't want to do it in the first place. It was not cool. Okay. It was like, um, it's not cool. And Matt Carney thing was way cool. Oh, you know? this is before. Uh, yeah. Things. So okay. I went back to the other people and they were like, well, why are you coming back to us? You said you, you had another opportunity. Did you, did you get fired? <laughs> and I was like, well, I wasn't necessarily what they were looking for, yes. but very uh, PC. Yeah. So I, uh, I jumped on their tour and, and started working with them and, um, really kind of trying to started like thinking about what I do more than just, uh, pushing faders like i started thinking with an, a bigger vision you know that um it's not necessarily just about like making something sound good it's it's about creating a moment it's yeah. about you know uh it's about everyone in this venue uh it's about you bringing you know you creating a moment for those people to feel happiness to feel joy um to have a place to escape from the stuff that's you know ailing them to um, you know, whenever I see people in the crowd who are who are laughing and dancing and singing along, that is what that's like the meaning behind it. Yeah. Behind you know mixing front of house it sounds so you know it's funny seeing a guy pushing fingers, turning knobs, but that's the meaning. That's where that's where I derive a lot of meaning from. And it shortly after that, like I met some guys in a band called Leagues, um, led by a singer songwriter named Thad Cockrell, um, and they kind of helped me understand that vision behind what I was doing. It wasn't just, I didn't want to just plug in cables. Like it had to be more than that. And so they kind of helped me put like, um, some form to that. And, uh, and so when I started thinking about the meaning behind what I'm doing, that helped me move forward and helped me get over, um, those issues. Yeah. That's awesome. So, um, you mentioned, getting into education, getting into teaching people kind of how to learn from your failures so they don't have to do that. What did that process look like? Were you already thinking, let's go back to Matt Kearney, things explode. Were you thinking, man, I want to use this moment to help the incoming generation not have to do these moments? Or were you not there yet where you wanted to teach? Oh, people? no, no, no. I wasn't there for a while. Okay. Um, I wasn't there for a while until I started seeing like other people fail on the road or, or other things happen on the road that people just weren't prepared for. And Braden, actually I was, you know, working with a couple other bands on and off, but I, I've never typically had a problem finding work on the road, but I knew a lot of people who did have yeah. trouble finding work. Um, and so I kind of started like connecting people to jobs, uh, just as a, a, starter thing like I, I just would hear someone who needed a, a tour manager front of house engineer a guitar tech or something lighting director and i would just uh 
say, Hey, I can't, I can't do it, but I got a buddy who can. Yeah. So I'd text a couple of friends and I'd say, Hey, would you be willing to take this opportunity? You know, it pays, you know, X amount a week. Uh, they're looking for these dates. Can you feel it? And then I go back to the hiring party and say, Hey, I got this friend. I trust this person. Um, I'm actually going to show them how to uh, work on this console um, or I'm going to show them how to use this process to settle your shows so that, you know, all the accounting is done right. Um, I think you should hire them. And so like I started doing that with a lot of friends and, you know, it became 10, 20, 30 people that I started doing that with. And it kind of made me realize like there's no one really representing crew people in the industry. So especially on the job front. So I started this company helping touring crew find jobs. And, and when I started that, I I realize even more that like people need training really really badly because okay. um, a lot of people just start doing these jobs because they're a buddy of the band, you know they don't actually have any any real training. Yeah. And um and when you have somebody out on the road who's expected to do a job, when you have somebody anywhere who's expected to do a job, whether it's in sales, um whether it's in you know uh, me- you know in some type of you know mechanical work or. You know, imagine if if you got an electrician in your house who hasn't had any electrical training. You know, that's a recipe yeah, that, for disaster. Yeah, that wouldn't go you know? well. Yeah, so it's the same on the road. You know, you've got uh, the job they're trying to do um, amplified by they haven't been home for a while, amplified by they probably haven't slept a lot, amplified by substance on the road. A lot of these are are recipes for for tough times and hard times and failure on the road, yeah. disaster, if you will, and. Uh, you know, I think this is a long answer to your question, but, um, you know, I just realized that these people needed a little more um, of a path to walk down sometimes, yeah. you know. Um, so that's kind of why I started teaching, you know, folks gotcha. um, how to avoid these problems in their lives. Yeah, that's awesome. I want to go back a little bit because you mentioned it, kind of that living on the road lifestyle. How was mm-hmm. that for you? You've got to travel all around the world. And, you know, the stories or that tour life on the road is just wild and crazy. How was living life on the road for you? Was it exciting, unbelievable? Were you like, this is draining, I need to get home? Where were you (laughs) kind of in that spectrum? I think I've been all over the spectrum, Braden. I've been to about 30 different, 30 something different countries um, touring. Um, So whether that's tour managing, uh, running sound, you know, front of house, uh, about thir- I've worked in about 30-something different countries. And you got to think, to get to those 30-something different countries, there's a lot of travel involved. A lot of travel. <laughs> there's a lot of logistics involved in getting, you know, 9 to 14 people, you know, overseas. Um, and the job can become very tough. You know, it can, it can really drain you. Yeah. And that's why I went, I was talking about the meaning of the job earlier. Um realizing why you do something is really important. Um, I, when I went on the road, it was just like, Hey, this is cool, you know, but then it started like to become a thing where it's like, why am I doing what I'm doing? And that helped bring a little more clarity to the job. Um, but you know, going on the road, it's pretty fun. You know, when you're in a van, you can, uh, you know, a lot of people are like, Oh, I just want to get, if you're in a van, all you want to do is get to a bus. Um, if you've been in a bus your whole career, yeah, it's nice, but you sure would like to fly in a private jet sometimes. Sure, yeah. Uh, you know, and so there's always that level of like wanting to get higher. But, um, you know, when you're in a van or in a car, 
you have opportunities to build relationships with the people um, in that vehicle better than any other type of touring because you are in it together. You know, no one, there's no hierarchy really. Everybody's sleeping on van benches, you know? Yeah. Um, also when you see something cool, you can just pull over and stop. Like I'll never forget this one, one memory. Uh, we were driving from Seattle. We had, we had, uh, we're in Tennessee right now and we started the tour in Tennessee and we ended the tour in Seattle. So uh, Tennessee is here and Seattle is here. <laughs> so, yeah. long uh, I mean, it's like it's a long way away from yeah. each other. Right. So we had a long way to drive home and a couple of the guys decided to fly home and, uh, we were, we were driving out West and we were just kind of taking our time. You know, it's a long drive, but we came to a fork in the road somewhere around, you know, Wyoming and, uh, to the right, we go home to the left, we go to Yellowstone. And I'm driving. Who are you traveling with? So I'm with Colony House okay. at this point. And uh, and <laughs> there's a couple guys in the back. You know, we're we're pretty exhausted. We've been out for two and a half months at this point. And and uh, <laughs> we're coming to this fork in the road. You know, the interstate splits. It's like literally a sign, Yellowstone that way, uh, or home. You know, this way. And. Uh, I'm like, guys, what do we do? Do we go to Yellowstone? I'm not sure what to do here. I want to go to Yellowstone. And everybody's like, I don't know. Should we do it? Should we do it? And uh, I mean, it. <laughs> we're to the, we're to the point in the, where we got to make the choice. And I just like, let's go to Yellowstone. <laughs> <laughs> so it rubs, everyone's- uh, yeah. And, and I, you know, we couldn't have done that had we been in a bus or if we were in a, a private jet, we would already have been home. Yeah. Um, but those moments are what make touring uh, to be what it is. It's those moments where you are uh, doing the same kind of situation where you're, you're driving through, uh, you know, somewhere and you decide to get up early and go on a quick hike through Yosemite before you go to your show or uh, you, you, um, <laughs> uh, you have flat tires in the middle of the night and, or you, you have to, you know, you have an engine problem in the middle of the night and you pull over and you, um, you see the Aurora Borealis or something, you know, yeah. crazy like that. That that that's the kind of stuff. That's the moments that really yeah. make it worth it. Um, but also, there's the moments where you're sleeping on the floor. There's the moments <laughs> you're where you're changing the flat you, tire. You are changing the flat tire, and I've had a lot of those. There's the moments where you are um, so tired that you are seeing uh hallucinations you know no drugs involved you're just sleepy sure uh, you're okay. sleep deprived you're seeing hallucinations and you're like oh my gosh is this real i'm not sure it's <laughs> <laughs> um, real safe yeah. to be driving and hallucinating because of sleep deprivation you know every band that i've had a uh, chance to work with and we've been on the road together in a van there's always the pilot and there's always got to be the co-pilot the yeah. co-pilot is not allowed to go to sleep and if the co-pilot does go to sleep the driver has the authority to reach over and pop Punch that person his face yeah wake him up. and yeah. that's the way you stay alive on the road <laughs> that's so awesome <laughs> what are some of your is there like a singular moment that you look back and you're like man that was a really cool career moment up to this point Mm. Um, yeah, I would say there's a few, a few great moments. Um, one was, um, probably my, my first big one was working with, uh, the band leagues. They're no longer a band, but 
they put out some of my favorite music. And uh, like I said, the, the singer, his name is Thad Cockrell. And we just got to do the Tonight Show a couple weeks ago together. That's right. Uh, I, heard, I saw that, yeah. Uh, Did you and go it was, to that? Um, we went to it. Uh, and there was a COVID scare as we were walking into the studio. Um, and so we had to end up leaving the studio and we had to do it virtual, which we were in New York and we ended up still having to shoot it virtual. COVID so, scare with the studio or with, with you guys? Uh, yeah, with the studio. And, um, and so we, we, we had to uh, ab- abandon ship, unfortunately. Uh. We, were, we were on the other side of the door of the studio and they were like, hey, wait, hang on. Uh, we actually don't know if we can do this. So that was, that was, that's a long story in itself. But uh, this guy named Thad Cockrell had a band called Leagues and we had toured for a while um, uh, across the U.S. We were doing um, headline shows and and this was a band that I had loved their music, like had been a huge fan and then got the opportunity to work with. Um, but we had never had a Nashville show and we got to play this big festival called uh, Live on the Green here in Nashville. It's a big free music festival. It's known for having fantastic music every year. Um, it's put on by Lightning 100, the radio station here. And um, we came back and were support for local natives. Um, and uh, at the time, local natives was massive, as well as Leagues was getting a lot of attention. They were the the cool band coming out of Nashville. Yeah. <laughs> so being able to mix a show in my hometown, seeing people dance, and and it's sounding great. I mean, it's one of the best sounding shows I've ever had. Uh, and that was a phenomenal moment. Um, then, uh, you know, going to... Uh, a moment with Colony House because they were friends because they had hired me and I quit my job for 50 bucks. Yeah, you know, at Cracker, Cracker Barrel. Barrel. They, seeing their success always makes me super happy. Yeah. Um, and this past October, uh, you know, they had had a, a third record come out. Their third record was called uh, Leave What's Lost Behind. And um, they... Uh, Leave us lost behind. I think that's right. That's right. It's, or no, it's everybody's look. Is no, uh, leave, leave us, us lost no, behind. leave us lost behind. Yeah, Sorry. Right. Yes, it's we'll it's edit right. that part. You uh, knew the whole time. <laughs> the their their album's called Leave What's Lost Behind, and they had the biggest tour they'd ever done. Um, they were selling out every show. Um, it was a phenomenal response from fans and um, even themselves they were playing better than they ever played and they got cut short by by covid yeah well um they didn't know what to do in that moment but caleb who's a singer he edited a a movie he made a movie of their um of a lot of the show a lot of the footage from the first like 10 shows of the tour as well as footage from from you know uh making the record and footage uh, from a trip they did out West. Anyways, put all this thing together and he calls me up. He goes, Hey man, I've been like editing this movie. Do you think we could pull off a drive-in show, like a drive-in movie? And I'm like, yeah, why not? You know, uh, typically Caleb has these ideas. He calls me up and, and we chat about the yeah. ideas. So I didn't hear about it again until I saw the tickets go on sale. And the first show sold out in, uh, I mean, like less than an hour. Crazy. Um, we sold 400 something cars uh, in less than an hour. And so 
that moment, he calls me up. He goes, hey, <laughs> we sold the first day. We're actually going to put another one on sale. Um, and so we ended up selling you know, a bunch more the second day. And, and going from uh, you know, just mixing sound with them um, to running front of house and tour managing, and then I was actually on their management team for a while. Um, going from those roles and stepping up with them into building out this drive-in show that was massively successful in the middle of COVID, um, you know, that was a, a pretty great moment. Yeah. Um, seeing one, you're not only seeing their success, but you're also seeing like, um, you're seeing the story continue. You know, it's like, it's just a new chapter and the chapters keep getting better. Yeah. I love it. So that, it's was also, a, that was a cool moment. It's also one of those things where it's COVID has kind of forced the music industry to rethink the way it's producing content and mm -hmm. reaching out and connecting with its audience, which is crazy. And it's, do you think it's been a good thing? Like, do you think, think that that's been a good silver lining for the music industry? Um, yeah, because it's, exp it's exposing a lot of things that have happened in the past um, that we haven't fixed. So, it's exposing, you know, in the live music industry, so many problems, you know, from the way people are treated on the road to a lot of racial um, and, um, you know, not integrated tours. You know, there's not been a lot of diversity on the road or a lot of equality uh, in the past. And no one was aware of it until, you know, now. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and the movement in the world, you know, for diversity and equality is finally making its way to the music community and the touring community. Um, and that's the part I'm most involved in. I'm not a songwriter, so I don't know how it's changed songwriters, but I think also artists uh, are realizing that they need more control over their product. So for instance, um, I've seen people do, I saw, I helped an artist in the fall do a um, backyard tour. And all he did, he didn't have, he did not hire a promoter. All he did was email all of his fans. He had been building an email list for years, used that email list to email his fans, found the top 10, uh, wanted to find the top 10 fans to come play a, a, a show in their backyard, ended up booking 25 shows. Um, and uh, I went out with him, helped him make it happen. And that just shows that when artists are able to grab more control, that they're going to be more successful yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. What do you think is keeping artists from that control? Has it been just the system of labels? Is it just a routine that's kind of kept everyone in this same mentality or something else? Um, I think there has been a lot of, uh, for years, and this is not wrong. This is not a bad frame of mind. It just sometimes doesn't work. Uh, but artists will get a record deal. They want the record deal because the record deal provides a team and provides money typically. Um, but then the record deal doesn't, the record team, you know, the label doesn't do anything. And that's a huge frustration. Or you expect a manager to go out and, and do X, Y, Z. And sometimes that happens. But for the mo most of the time, the artists have to grind it out. And, and so whenever you put control 
whenever you give an artist more control, whether that's in their marketing um, with Facebook ads or in their development, you know, putting together music and stuff, um, when you give them more control, I think they see a bigger benefit. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I keep talking about Colony House, but Colony House has really started to get into this. Uh, and and the singer songwriter I went out with and did this COVID backyard tour, Matt Wirtz, he's really done the same thing too, where he's really started to kind of learn the marketing side of the business um, and take up that side himself yeah. and start to really like build fans um, outside of what a label would typically do. Yeah, and that gives him and it gives colony house more control yeah and better connection with their audience mm-hmm. for sure yeah totally yeah absolutely better connection you know they're they're more active on on socials they're listening to what you know people have to say but they're also like there's not as many hands in the pot if yeah. you will so they're actually able to to build a better career and create better because um they're you know, there aren't as many hands in the pot. Yeah, they don't have to go through so many mm-hmm. channels to yeah. produce some, like Caleb, if he wants to make a movie, <laughs> can make a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. That's so awesome. So let's let's go back a little bit and talk COVID. Was that an influential factor for you in launching? Because uh, you had Tour Collective before COVID, kind of connecting people. Uh, was mm-hmm. COVID kind of like, a moment where you had to rethink what that looked like. Well, yeah, we had people on tours and all those tours got canceled. Yeah, everything we shut had people down. Planning to go on tours and those tours got canceled. Um, then uh, what do you do when there's no jobs? You can't provide jobs. You can't connect people to jobs if there are no jobs. So we, we, we talked to a lot of the people in our community and they wanted some training. You know, people were doing uh, uh, training in, you know, everything else you know there's every other kind of industry had training but the touring community had no training yeah and i just saw a need there and and did a webinar of some some teaching some things i had learned and had like 25 people schedule a call with me after i said we wanted to create a tour manager curriculum so we had all those people reach out and i was like man this is like these people want it yeah uh and um so we created this curriculum and they all went through the course and it was really 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 cool to see that and some of those people have actually already found new jobs that's so awesome uh, which is phenomenal so they log on they sign up for the course they log on there's video Mm -hmm. video curriculum yeah so it's all we did like some we did five week courses at the beginning where you come and sit in a in a class virtually for five weeks long and it's a lot of time commitment for the student um and you know, so we worked, we did that twice and we worked through, um, uh, the whole curriculum again, made it a little bit shorter, but more like, um, to the point, uh, so that you can quickly learn. And then we put it all online. So it's all on demand now. So it's kind of like the Netflix model. You can just log in and watch it when you want, but, um, but it's really helping people. And, and that is like, I see maybe even doing more than just tour management curriculum. Um, I see maybe doing a front of house curriculum, maybe yeah. a uh, uh, an Ableton curriculum at some point for live application. I'm not sure. I yeah. don't know. We'll see what happens. It sounds like the dreams are cooking though. You've got some ideas. Yeah, totally. I think there's just is a lack of education. Um, 
on the road and you'll you'll start to see more of this popping up i'm not the only one i know yeah. two other people right now creating a curriculum but i think uh people want to have better training so when they go on the road they can for so long they've had a glass ceiling to uh, you know touring crew have had like the ceiling of like can't get any better because nobody's teaching you how to get better you just got to learn from doing on the road yeah i think that's just such a bad way to to um to learn, you know, yeah. learn by doing. Yeah. That's, that's important to be around people who are doing it that are better than you and to see it a lot more. It's caught than taught. But if I had just known a process for doing some shows, I wouldn't have lost that job with Matt Carney. I wouldn't have lost 20 something thousand dollars that summer. Yeah. Um, I would have had a process to follow and I would have known that I didn't order instruments for a show. <laughs> yeah. But here's the thing, silver lining about that though. If that didn't happen, it wouldn't have given you the ammo to be able to equip people to not have their own failures. And who yeah, knows totally. where you would be if that was a smash success. Yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, I'm always kind of looking at the bigger picture and, and I'm thankful that those things did happen and they didn't just, that I didn't just hang my head, you know, forever. Yeah. Um, but I actually, you know, came out stronger and, and I would say 10 years later, nine years later from that time, you know, I am stronger, Yeah, uh, which is awesome to see. Sometimes you can't see it, you know, when it's right in front of you, you can't see how you're going to be better. But, uh, but uh, once again, it goes back to not labeling yourself as a failure, yeah. but, you know, overcoming that failure, yeah, learning from it, pressing forward mm -hmm. for you with the, since you're kind of diving into this education field now for, students who are kind of coming up, the people who are wanting to get uh, become a crew member, start touring, Do you? what advice would you give them? Would you say that school, going to full place like Full Cell or wherever where you went, do you think that's still really vital? Or has the culture really changed and it's all about experience and who you know? So invest your time and resources into that. Hybrid, like what would you tell? You know who some of the best crew people on the road are they are people that work in big churches uh and have decided to go on the road and that kind of sounds crazy interesting but a lot of churches these days have way better technology way better teams than what is on the road and so anytime if you're an audio engineer go find a church go find a venue go find uh, a local theater to help out with and just start rolling cables um everybody wants somebody to roll their cables and so if you can just get your foot in the door that way um it's going to help you out a ton if you're trying to go the more logistics route the tour manager route you know um you can also go volunteer at your local venue, you know, selling merchandise, um, selling tickets. Uh, you know, you could help out in hospitality, you know, you know, setting up a green room and all that stuff. Being around it, proximity is key. You know, you want to be around it as much as you possibly can. But honestly, man, I'm telling you, if you're an audio engineer, go go help out at a church, a big church somewhere. Because uh, you're, you're going to learn so much and you're going to get your hands on some great equipment probably. That's awesome. So would you say that there still is a lot of value in formal education or would you say really for the people who are wanting to do what you do, mm -hmm. would you say maybe it's more important to get hands on volunteer training at a church or find someone you know who's doing what mm -hmm. you want to do and tag along? 
Yeah, I think there's always value in, in education, whether it's formal education or whether it's, you know, courses you're doing. You know, a lot of people talk about YouTube University these days. You can find so much information out there. Yeah. But though they are valuable, I think all education is valuable. However, just because you don't have formal education doesn't mean you're not valuable. Yeah. Um, and doesn't mean you can't learn something. Um, I uh, One of my mentors... Um, you know, or friends, I should say, is is a guy named Donald Miller. Donald Miller is a a author um, and a yeah, just business a, just leader, small time author. There, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Some people probably don't know who he is, but anyways, he's become a good friend, and uh, he just wrote a business book. Or he's he's he he was a an author like writing memoirs, right? And then he started a a, a business called Story Brand, where they help with marketing. Yeah help you get your message clear. Um, and then he wrote a business book that just debuted at, or it debuted on number two on the Wall Street Journal this week, like two days ago, it hit number five on Amazon of all books, number five. Um, Don wrote a business book, didn't go to business school. So it's like, you know, he learned from mentors. He learned from people. He learned by doing. Yeah. Uh, and you don't have to go to college to, to be able to do something like this. Uh, but you do need to be around it. Yeah. That's awesome. That's really cool. So what's next? We're almost out of time, but I want to talk about what's next for you. Like you've re- recently launched this curriculum. Are you like, that's my future. I want to do curriculum. I want to teach and equip or do you, are you still, Hey, when things mm-hmm. open up and things are opening up, I want to get back on the road and like, where, where, what's next for you? Not sure yet, Braden. Okay. Um, I've had some opportunities uh, present themselves for the fall, you know, tours that are open and are happening. Um, I haven't said yes to any of those yet. I would like for, you know, I see tour collective being able to become in the next five years. Um, as long as the market adapts it, um, you know, Finding product market fit for anything is hard. Yeah. Uh, whether it's a service, whether it's product, uh, but I would like to see Tour Collective become the the industry standard for the place you go to find your crew, and also like to be able to help provide benefits to crew members who um, typically don't have those things offered with their roles. So you know whether that's uh, artists depositing to their health savings account or helping them to get healthcare in some form or fashion. Or uh, maybe helping, you know, with every job, with every show, um, something goes into a retirement account for crew. I'd love to see something like that where, you know, you're getting more than just uh, doing the show and a paycheck. You know, with every job, most people, they get some kind of benefit, you know. Yeah. Uh, most people out there watching probably have a job with some kind of benefits. But as a touring crew person, you just do not. Um, and uh, so that's one problem I'd like to be solving in the industry. Um and I, I think it can be solved and I think it can be solved in the next one to five years. Uh, so that's one thing I see also, you know, maybe it's creating a, a whole, like I said, a whole education, um, touring education, if you will, yeah. uh, for a lot of the jobs out there. Um, I don't know, man, I'm an entrepreneur at heart, uh, but I also love music. And so merging the two is always really fun. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what the next five yeah. years looks like, but you got time, but, uh, Plenty of but, time. um, 
I'll probably go on another tour sometime really soon. I'm doing a couple dates in the, in the spring, uh, doing some consulting for some larger churches. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, I'll probably, you'll probably see me on the road at some point. That's awesome. Well, man, I appreciate you sitting down, taking time to tell your story and kind of where you're at and how you got to where you are and also where you're going. One of the things that I recall when we met is I've been around live music a lot throughout the years. And I've always felt like people are super like crew members, musicians, they're kind of just almost jerks, super jaded Mm -hmm. maybe to outsiders. And I think one of the biggest things that I really respect and love about what you're doing is man, the first time we met, it was like, there was no pretense. There was no wall, man. And I really appreciate the way, um, how relational you are in an industry that really it's pretty closed off. You've got to be in the inner circle to be relatable. And I really appreciate it. I think what you're doing is incredible. Uh, I think also in the creative industry, it's so secretive. The music industry, I'm in the design, photography, video industry, everything is so secretive. We view people coming in as a threat and com- competition. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so awesome to see you counterculture that a little bit in creating actual curriculum to train up these people and so yeah someone recently said okay so if these people go through this curriculum um don't you think they can take your job and i was like you know if i'm doing this right then yes they will totally take my job and i'm okay with it yeah that's so (laughs) awesome it's so counterintuitive to real society right now and so i really respect that man i love what you're doing uh, and, and I'm excited to see what's next for Tour Collective and just you in general, what's next for you. So how can the people out there get in touch with you? How can they get connected with you? Are you on social media? What websites you got? What's the deal? Yeah, totally. So Instagram, you can DM me all day at uh, Riley Vasquez, R-I-L-E-Y-V-A-S-Q-U-E-Z, actually Twitter and Instagram. Um, but also go, if you're interested in tour management, if you're interested in, in learning how to, you know, uh, how to go on the road and what it takes to crush a tour, <laughs> you can uh, find that course at tourcollective.co slash course. And uh, if, you know, there's a button down there that says contact. If you uh, if you want to say write us an email or something like that, I'll uh, either me and my partner will get that email, and um, you know we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, always DMs are open on Instagram and Twitter. Let's go. That's so awesome. So yeah, if you're if you want to do this, if you want to follow in his footsteps, maybe take his job one day. <laughs> then uh, man, go visit and shoot him a message. Uh, Riley, I really appreciate you taking the time. This was a lot of, a lot of fun for me, really good for me. And, uh, I really appreciate it, man. Yeah, Braden. Thanks so much for having me, man. Thank you. Uh, it was, it was cool to meet you a couple years ago. Uh, you're a great photographer and, uh, I hope the, uh, you, I hope you get some way more interesting people than me. On no, this, this is awesome. <laughs> this is top tier for me. So I appreciate it, man. And, uh, we'll see you guys next time. <laughs>